Good morning and welcome, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. So, uh, how many people came today um, thinking that they might learn how to play golf? No. Oh, I'm glad about that, actually, uh, because if you want uh, some tips about golf, my suggestion is you go to YouTube. There's a lot of fantastic teaching materials on there, and you can find, you can find anything on there, um, which is a lot different to when it was when I started about uh, 50 years ago, uh, more than 50, actually. But uh, what I want to talk about is uh, basic principles. So what I'm going to talk about applies, hopefully, to everything in life. So uh, even if you don't play golf, think about something that you are passionate about, and I think you will see the application of some of these, these lessons to that. Um, so let's start with um, chapter one of the divine principle. Uh, the Divine Principle teaches us that the purpose of life is joy. Yeah. How, how many people think that's true? Yeah, good. <laughs> At least one person in the audience does. Does, does everyone think that's true? Yeah. yeah? Good. Um, so what brings joy? Orion, there we are. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. What else? Can you create joy? I mean, obviously, Orion is a creation. But, um, but in everything that you do... Oh, hang on a minute. Where, how did we get there? This is... Okay, um, so I would maintain that joy comes when intent and accomplishment come together. So if you were an artist, for instance, and you have an idea in your mind and you can express that on the canvas the way you want it, then you look at your creation and you feel, yes, that's it, that's great. Um, on the other hand, if it doesn't come out very well, then what's the feeling when you want to do something but you can't accomplish it? Disappointment, frustration. So... I think, especially in golf, the opposite of joy is frustration. And you can go around and spend four hours uh, alternating between <laughs> moods of joy and frustration. But the joyful moments are so great that even if you just have one or two of them in those four hours, you will come back again to try to improve on it and experience it again. So the reason is, I mean, Golf is like sort of instant karma because every shot you hit has a purpose. 
So you're driving the ball, you want to hit it straight. You want to stay on the fairway. You don't want to put yourself in the trees. Um, you're hitting irons. Maybe you want to hit an iron into the green. If you can hit it, hit your ball close to the pin, that's, that's a fantastic feeling. Um, you're chipping and you, you, again, you put the ball close so you don't have to putt and miss the putt. That, again, is a wonderful feeling. Or you're putting and you've got a 10-foot putt or a 20-foot putt, or even better, you've got like a 50-foot putt across the green and it goes all the way across the green and drops in the hole. That's amazing because every shot has a purpose. And when you can fulfill that purpose, the, the feeling internally is, is one of great joy. So what you're trying to do actually in golf is do this every shot of the round. And if you could do that for a whole round, then that would be an amazing feeling. And that's what professionals are doing week in, week out. But the difference between professionals and, and amateurs is amateurs watch the professionals and think, God, if I could be half as good as these guys, it'd be wonderful. But the professionals are thinking, oh, I had a really lousy day today. I'm only three under par for the round or something like that. And that guy over there is seven under par. And uh, <laughs> so it, it's different. But we talk a lot about mind-body unity. So mind-body unity is exactly that. It's when your mind and your body are completely unified. So that, I would say, is lesson one. Let's see, lesson two is, can you see that correct setup and good technique? Now, there are tried and tested techniques for every, every shot in golf. But again, there are tried and tested techniques. If you want to be a good piano player, you have to learn the technique. I, if you want to be a good snooker player, I, I don't know how many people like to watch snooker on... Not many, I suspect. But if you see snooker played well, it's like anything you've done yourself badly, when you see other people doing it really well, uh, you can sort of say, wow. Um, darts, everyone must have played darts in their life. I mean, have you thrown a dart at a dartboard? So you see these guys and they got like, in their head they're doing these mental calculations, which is also pretty amazing. Usually the people who play darts, they're quite big guys because darts and beer tend to go together. And... You wonder how they can even see straight. But, but it's amazing. They stand there and, you know, like I, I need a sort of 17 and I get that and then I need a triple six to finish with and it, and it goes in there. It, amazing, amazing. So you, you need to get the technique. But setup is very important. So in golf, you know, you've got things like grip. You've got to get the grip right. You want the stance right, you want the, the body weight right, you want to have the ball in the right position in the feet. And then when you swing, you know, you want to try to keep your left arm straight. It gets more and more difficult with time. And turn your body, 
because that's where the power is going to come from, and then you want to kind of get the timing right to go through. So all of these techniques you want. But if you watch golfers, there's some, some sw swings that are beautiful, and there's some, some swings that are kind of ugly. But even with an ugly swing, you can be very, very effective. Um, I, I won't mention golfers with ugly swings because it probably doesn't mean anything to you. But if you're a golfer, then you, I think you'll know uh, the, the sorts of things I'm talking about. But it, it doesn't mean that you can't have an incredibly successful career because you can develop something that works for you. Now, uh, about 15 years ago, uh, I took Alex Haynes and my son Joshua to a place called the London Club because there was some European tour competition on there. And um, we sat kind of on, by the practice ground before the round started and we were watching some of these golfers on the practice ground. And there was a young kid there who was 18 at the time, 18, 19, and he had a beautiful golf swing. And I said to Alex and Josh, I said, that kid has got a perfect golf swing. Um, you may have heard of his name. He's called Rory McElroy. And today, actually, when I watch him, I don't think his swing is as beautiful as it, as it was but he does hit the ball 350 yards off the tee and he's only about that high, so um, he's obviously doing something right. But the key to a good shot is getting the setup right, getting maybe the weight on, in the right position if you're doing a chip, um, and having the good technique. Now, I think you can apply this to many things in life. But the way you start off a process or a project or you've got some idea in mind, if you don't get it right at the beginning, it often doesn't come right in the end. You know, the, the old joke about um, a guy uh, in Ireland stops a local farmer and he says, uh, how do I get to Dublin? And, and the farmer replies, uh, if I was you, I wouldn't start from here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, got to get it right at the beginning. So, uh, the beauty is that there's something called best practice. You, you hear a lot about it nowadays. I don't think you used to hear about it so much before, but you don't have to reinvent the wheel in life in every situation. So when you're faced with a new situation or a challenge, uh, there are people who've been there before, probably. And uh, if you can find out what worked and what didn't work and what was best practice, you can uh, kind of shorten, shorten the process. So lesson number three. Practice, practice practice. You know, you see people doing things in every sport, you see beautiful art, you hear fantastic music. Um, 
I don't know if you ever watch these videos of these young performers in these in these con concerts, and you get like a a little violinist of eight years old playing the most fantastic music, and and it's like a wonder to behold. And uh, then they grow up, and they still play fantastic music. Um, but they get there. If they're eight years old, they probably started playing the violin when they were three. Uh, and they might have had some very uh, kind of ambitious parents, or maybe pushy parents. Uh, who, I mean, sit down and do it, but, but incredible skills. Um, but we see the end result many times, but we don't see the hours and hours and hours of effort that have gone into producing that. Now, when I was in Japan, I have had a friend, I still have a a friend, he's actually got the birthday on the same day as me, so we, we usually speak to each other at least once a year. Um, but he was a fantastic juggler. And I, he, and actually he made a lot of money street performing, and that's how I first met him, actually, seeing him in a park. And we got talking and found out, anyway, about each other's lives. He's a, a church member. And... Um, he said to me, you know, my peers won't respect me unless I can juggle with five pins, you know. So he could juggle with four pins and he did it very nicely. He said, but my peers won't respect me unless I can juggle with five pins. I said, so why don't you juggle with five pins? And he says, um, he says, it'll take me at least two years to learn to juggle with five pins. The amount of practice that needed to go into that was incredible. They say in golf, like if you've been doing a golf swing all your life and you go along to a, a pro and he says, well, I think you're doing this wrong. You need to sort of change your, your swing this way. And they, they give you a, a new technique, a new way of doing things. They say it will take you 10,000 shots on the driving range to fundamentally change, change your swing. And the, and the reason is that in darts and all, all of these things, it's body memory, muscle memory. Your body remembers. So you are training, you're practicing and training your body to do the right thing. And I, I go along to driving range, the driving range to see people hitting balls. And I'm always amazed that they are teaching their body such terrible things. You know, it's like people will come with a brand new set of clubs and they'll kind of invest sort of like a thousand dollars in having the best clubs, but their swing will be awful. And you think, well, if you had invested half that money in having lessons and training the body, you would be getting so much more satisfaction out of your golf game. So body memory is very important. Now... This is 
a mind-body experience. We are trying to unite mind and body. So the next lesson is actually quietening the mind. You know, people say you've heard the expression, be here now, and there's a lot of kind of sort of discussion and uh, lots of uh, teachers of spiritual ways will talk about being here now. And that's important because our mind is all over the place. And when we're doing an activity, we want to be here in the moment. But actually, the strange thing about golf is that you don't want your mind there at all. The best shots will be hit when the mind is quiet. Because it, that will be if you've, you've done point three and you've practiced and practiced and practiced and you've trained your body and your body knows exactly what to do. But it's actually the mind that gets in the way of, of really accomplishing things. So imagine you are on a golf tour do you know the sorts of money people play for in tournaments nowadays? Like there's a, the tournament that's going on this weekend, the purse is $8 million. $8 million. And there's only about 160 people in the field. But to win one of these tournaments, obviously, you, you don't have to worry about your food and your rent for the next few weeks. Um, actually, a lot of these guys have their own planes and fly around. But imagine you are in a tournament and you're coming to the, the, the last round. They, they happen over four days usually. And so you're in the last few holes. And maybe you're on the last hole and you need a putt of that distance to win. And you know the difference between first prize and second prize is maybe $500,000. Normally, you could stand there and you could putt that in your, in your sleep. But if someone says, if you miss this putt, or a little voice inside your head says, if you miss this putt, it's going to cost you $500,000. That sort of puts a lot of pressure on you. And actually, there was a tournament um, about two or three months ago, and there was a guy called Danny Willits in there, and uh, he was two shots ahead, and uh, his opponent was in the bunker, and the guy hits this shot out of the bunker, and he holds out. And suddenly, Danny Willits had like a kind of a putt like that, and he ended up three-putting and losing the tournament. I mean, you know, it's, if you can imagine that sort of pressure. So the people who become really, really good at this are able to quieten the mind. It's the voices in the head. Now, we, we know everything we do. We have those voices in the head, and especially when we're trying to accomplish things. And it's a very difficult skill to be able to quieten the mind. Uh, there are things that we can do. One of them is meditation. But 
Interestingly, in, in our movement, um, I don't know if people are told so much nowadays, young people, but uh, when I joined, it was, we have to separate from Satan. And we would do conditions. And as we did conditions, I mean, I, I remember doing a lot of three-day fasts and the occasional seven-day fast, and I'm sure that uh, uh, many of us who, who joined many years ago did those things. But it was a strange thing. As we did those conditions, our actual mind changed and the sorts of thoughts that we would have to deal with changed. And our ability to maybe focus on things changed. Um, so we know that we live in a spiritual reality. And the question is, where do thoughts come from? Now, the Buddhists are fond of saying that 80% of the thoughts in your head are not your own. And so if they're not your own, where are they coming from? It, it, the spirit world around us is always affecting us and we're having that interaction. And the reason we make conditions is to try to change, change the spiritual world that surrounds us. And Interestingly, I mean, these golfers, there was a guy called Johnny Miller, and he used to talk about the mystic cocoon, that he would try to kind of wrap himself or create this space around himself so that kind of all, all of those kind of thoughts that would throw him off balance would stay away. Okay, quiet the mind. Lesson number five. The next shot is the only one that counts. So when things go wrong in life, um, and it could start off with something simple, like you kind of have an argument with your spouse over breakfast, or you even spill the coffee or whatever it is. Often in our life, one thing needs to another. So, you know, you may have got off to a bad start and if you've got an office job, perhaps you go into work and then you find yourself making mistakes. Um, and somehow our moments are connected from moment to moment. And having a bad experience can then kind of affect our mental state. I remember... Uh, I was actually driving to play golf one morning and, and a, a bird flew across in front of my car and I, I hit this bird. And I mean, I, I, don't, I think that's the only time it's ever happened in my life. I, I don't know if people have had an experience where they're just driving along normally and they hit a bird. The birds are usually smart enough to, uh, to avoid those things. But I, I felt terrible. Kind of all these feathers came up uh, and I felt terrible. And I went out and I had a dreadful round of golf that day. It was like, you know, you kind of, things upset you. Um, and it's, you know, you want to try to keep stable. So what you've got to be able to do is separate the moments. Can we separate the moments? Can we change our mood at the drop of a hat? It's very difficult. If we could do that in life, we would be, I think, so much happier and more successful. 
I I lived out in in Brunei. Brunei. This is before I I joined the movement, and uh, I was working for Shell in Brunei, and occasionally uh, I'd get to play golf with the the managing director of Shell, and there was something about him that really impressed me. He could have a bad shot, and it wouldn't affect the next shot. He could recover from setback immediately. And I thought, that's amazing. That's why this guy is managing director of Shell, and not kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, some low-level administrative position or, uh, you know, whatever it is. Because it was a character trait uh, that he had throughout his life. And it was just evident in his golf game that he had the ability not to let things throw him off balance. And if that is something that we can develop in life, then, then that's a very, very valuable trait. Um, so moving on, lesson six. Do you understand that? Can you see that? Every shot pleases someone. <laughs> so, you know, if you are playing competitively, you can actually get joy out of your opponent's bad shot. <laughs> you know, in life, normally, you don't like to see people's misfortune. You don't want to experience joy from, from people's misfortune. But on the golf course, if you're in a match and you're trying to win, then actually you, you get joy out of your opponent's bad shot. So you, try, you try to keep the smile off your face, but internally think, yes, he missed that putt. I'm now one up or I'm two up or I'm only two down instead of three down or whatever the score is. So it's interesting. Now... This experience depends on your relationship with people. So if you're in an adversarial kind of relationship with someone, then you are less likely to uh, kind of sympathize with them when things go wrong. Now, most of the time in life, we hope we are not in adversarial relationships. We hope that we see each other as our brothers and sisters and, you know, we want the best for them. Now, when you play golf, there are different formats and sometimes there are formats where you play in teams. Usually te teams of two, they're called like a, a foursome or a four ball. And the thing that's exciting about that, and I love team games, is because you get joy out of your partner shots. And it's, it's like, you know, because you're one and the same, effectively, when your partner hits a good shot, wins a hole, it's like, yes! Now, th this is really interesting. One of my favorite quotes from father, I mean, it was in one of those original little blue books, 
was unity is the measure of your love. Have you heard that expression? Yeah? Have you thought about it? Unity is the measure of your love. I think that when people are really united in heart, there's, there's no separation between them. I remember having an experience where I went to visit some very good friends of mine many, many years ago, and they had just had a child. And I had bought a little gift with me. It was one of those sort of jigsaws for a three-year-old child or whatever. And I was sitting there watching the child do the jigsaw. And he was doing rather well. They, they were big pieces, but, you know, fit for his age, and he got, got the jigsaw. And then he got the last piece in. And it was like he kind of lit up. And at that moment, I felt this incredible surge of joy. It was like you can feel other people's joy if you are completely united in heart with them. And I think that that's a very valuable lesson in life, that we're not only confined to feeling joy from our own accomplishments, but where we love, especially our children, you know, parents and children, you know, people get so proud. There's a Yiddish expression, actually, it's called Klein Nachas. It means like uh, you get so much joy from your children, you know. He's like, oh, my son, this is that. <laughs> but, uh, but pa parents can experience, uh, parents do experience tremendous joy from their child. But, you know, from the principle, we're actually meant to be experiencing joy through our love, through everyone, all the people, all of our rela relationships. If we could make those into loving relationships, then we would have a joyful life at the time. Right. There's, oh. Sheet. Oh, there's a third sheet. Sorry. Just a couple more lessons. Right. Next lesson. Well, this is quite simple. Pride comes before a fall. Um, we know that one. But uh, another way of saying it, but especially in a game, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've heard that expression. But uh, it's a reference to baseball games in America, uh, I believe. And uh, uh, at the very end, then uh, someone will come on and, and, and sing the anthem. So... You know, it's never over till the end. And uh, the opposite of feeling pressure is sometimes you get really pleased with yourself because, especially in a match, you're competing, you think, yeah, I'm going to do it. Um, but it's never over till the end. I was playing uh, with a, in a competition. It was a knockout competition at a club, and I had gone 
I was doing quite well. And I came up against this guy and uh, he wasn't a particularly good golfer. Um, and I was two up with three holes to play. And I thought, you know, we, we got this. And then the next three holes in a row, I, I three putted um, from short, missing putts from short distances. Uh, just became too cocky and, and then suddenly I started to feel the pressure and in the end I was knocked out. So that was an important lesson. Um, but it's the same with everything we do, you know. Ah, we do it. If we can make everything we do an offering, then that's a much better place to be rather than feeling, oh, I've done this or whatever. And Along the same lines, we say, I, I love golf, it's a game of redemption. But actually life, life is all about redemption. That God loves us. That however badly things go wrong or whatever mistakes we make, there's always a chance for redemption. The beauty of golf is that you can have a terrible round one day, but you can go out the next day and everything can go right. Or even you can be having a terrible round and you can be missing putts. And putting is a lot to do with confidence. And suddenly you hole a putt and then everything's turned around and from then on your putting improves. And it may stay like that for the next few weeks. So you have to believe in life that everything can be redeemed. So even if things are going wrong or you're experiencing difficulties, then never give up. Just know that everything can be redeemed. Everything can come, come back. And lastly, because this is um, very pertinent, grow old gracefully. You know, as time goes on, we find there are things that we couldn't, can't do anymore that we used to be able to do. You know, I, I'll go out in a golf course and people I play with, Colin Turfus, for instance, who I always used to be able to outdrive. All of a sudden, he's now outdriving me and I'm drinking. I, he has improved and the equipment's improved, but he's still outdriving me. And I have to come to terms that I'm just getting old. I'm not hitting the ball as far as I used to. Not only that, I can't even see very far anymore. I, you know, I, I have to play golf with people who are younger, who have better eyesight than me. Otherwise, I don't know where the ball goes a lot of the time. <laughs> but you can, I can still get joy out of the game. But the important thing is to adjust to your changing circumstances. You know. You don't want to be in denial and say, oh, well, I always used to hit this club 150 yards and I'm 150 yards away. You say, uh-uh, no. Use a lower club now that will hit the ball further because you're not as good as you used to be. And often in life, we have an idea. We live in the past. We have memories of our glory, our glory days. Um, but... 
That's fine. That brought us a lot of joy. But we can still get joy in every moment. But we just need to adjust to the reality of where we are at any point in time. So, last question for you. In life, would you rather play badly and win or play well and lose? I mean, this can be applicable to everything we do in life, even if it is running a business or whatever. But uh, I, I, I let you uh, contemplate that and uh, call it call it uh, around. <laughs> Thank you very much for your attention. <laughs>